All right. Let's open our Bibles or you can open your computers, whatever it is you have your Bible on. Matthew 27 and verse 62. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 62, I want to read some scripture to you, make some comments as we go. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he, Jesus, was still alive, you see, he had already been crucified and died at this point, but they said while he was still alive... How that deceiver, they, they called him a deceiver, after he said, after three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, before I go any further, I want to make a comment about the guard. A lot of times people think that there were just maybe two or three, uh, you know, soldiers out there guarding. Uh, There was more than that. Actually, there was a temple guard. And on top of that, Pilate had evidently given the elders and the Sanhedrin there a Roman guard. And uh, there were there could have been as many if you get in and study on it a little bit, there could have been as many as 50 guards. Roman soldiers. now we're talking Roman soldiers, we're not talking Barney Fife and Goober and Gomer. You know what I mean? We're talking Roman soldiers. And, uh, you know, there were, there were enough that Pilate didn't think that they needed any more. Of course, Jesus had 11 disciples that followed him. Judas had betrayed him. And, of course, there were others. So they had to put enough guards out there to warrant holding off at least 11 or more people. But these were Roman soldiers, and uh, they had put a two-ton, uh, two-ton stone in front of that door. What is that? Uh, a ton is what? A ton is 2,000, isn't it? So two tons would be what? That stone was about 4,000 pounds, give or take, that they put in front of that tomb after Jesus' body was in there. It wasn't just a little bitty stone that a couple of people could move. It it took some men to move it. And then, it's interesting, in verse 66, they sealed it. They put what was known as a Roman seal on it. And for that seal to be broken... When Romans guarded prisoners, if the prisoners would escape, that soldier, those soldiers, 
would face severe punishment, even death. And if they let a a, a prisoner escape, that was bad enough, especially if they let a dead prisoner escape. (laughs) They're going to be in some real trouble. And so there was more out there than than as far as guarding that tomb than a lot of people think. For any body to get into that tomb and steal Jesus' body would make about as much sense as me gathering up a few fellas in here. Well, let's just take the whole room and go to Washington, D.C. and think we're going to get in there and kidnap the president. You think that's going to happen? You think that's going to you think that all all the men just take the men in here. Do you think if we went by night, tried to kidnap the president, we get through the Secret Service and all of that? That'd be absurd, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it to think that 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 could be possibly done? Well, that's the kind of guard that they had on Jesus tomb. So you need to realize that. So they made the tomb secure. They set a a seal to stone on it. They set the guard. Now let's go to chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now... You can see, I mean, the angel, do you think the angel had any trouble moving that stone? No. Now, it'd take several men to do it, but the angel had no problem. Do you think the angel was concerned about the Roman seal? I I, I don't think so. And he rolled back the stone from the door, and then he took up the best seat in the house. He sat on the stone. And then in verse 3, now a lot of times people think that verse 3 is talking about the angel. But I believe verse 3 is talking about somebody else walking out of that tomb, and I believe his name would be Jesus. Because notice it says his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. That's typically how Jesus is described when he appears. So his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. So the angel comes down, rolls back. There's an earthquake, rolls back the stone, sits on the stone. And somebody comes walking out of that tomb uh, that his name is Jesus. I mean, wouldn't that have been something to see that? Can you imagine? Just think, do you think about the shape his body was in when his body was placed in that tomb? Unrecognizable as a man. And, and when he was raised from the dead, the glory of God, the power of God hit his body. That's one reason. And there's, there's several reasons. But one reason people didn't recognize him when they saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead is because they had that in his mind of what he looked like on the cross. When he came out of the tomb, he didn't look like he did when he went into the tomb dead. Do you understand that? The power of God hit him. He came out with a glorified body and he walked out of that tomb. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And notice what happened to this to this to these guards. There could have been upwards of 50 of them, probably a couple of a couple of dozen of them. Notice verse four and the guards. We're talking about Roman guards now. The guards, what did they do? They shook for what? For fear. 
and became like dead men. What does that mean? They hit the deck, didn't they? They fell. Scared the eebie-jeebies out of them. They shook for fear of him and became like dead men. That's what happened to that Roman guard. Shaking for fear and became like dead men when Jesus walked out of that tomb. I mean, the greatest event in all of history, if you think about it. You know, Christianity is not a religion. A religion has been made out of it. But it's a relationship with a living Savior. And as I've studied, I I don't find the leader of any other religion claiming that they were going to die and be raised from the dead. Not one has ever died and raised from the dead. All the leaders of the other religions lead those religions from the grave. But I tell you what, in Christianity, there's something different. Our leader said he was going to die, be raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead and he walked out alive and he leads us not from the grave, but from the right hand of God in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? We've got something to rejoice about, a living Savior. And notice here, verse 5, the angel answered now in the process of time, because we'll see the guard, the Roman guard, they ran, they fled, they got out of there. They got, as soon as they came up from having fallen down, they got out of there. And then a little bit later, the, the women show up. The angel's still there. Look at verse 5. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. He's not here. He is risen. Isn't that wonderful? As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, notice verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city. And reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. Now, notice it said some of the guard. Some of the guard came in and reported what happened to the rest of them. I believe they were afraid of that Roman punishment that, you know, they let the prisoner escape. And they took off. I don't, the, some of them came into the city. They reported what had happened. Now, notice verse 12. When they had assembled the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Saying, tell them, and this is this was the lie they made up. Just tell tell them that his disciples came at night and stole him away while he's while we slept. Isn't that preposterous? That's absurd. Did you know that when the devil comes up with something to try to discount God, that the thing the devil asks you to believe is far more preposterous than anything God asks you to believe. Did you ever think about that? It's like they'll say that, you know, crossing the Red Sea, that the devil's crowd will come up and say, well, there's only six inches of water in the Red Sea. And so it was no miracle at all for the Israelites to pass over. But then if you get to thinking about it, that means that Pharaoh and his whole army was drowned in six inches of water. See, what the devil will ask you to believe is more preposterous than anything God ever asked you to believe. Take more faith to believe in what the devil's putting forth than what God's putting forth. Do you ever think about that? It's like evolution. You know, and you get back into it, you know, well, everything just happened by accident or just, you know, it was just some, you know, some amoeba crawled up out of a swamp. And the next thing you know, you know, Shazam, there's man, you know. 
And then we came, or there's a monkey, and then we came down from the monkey, and so on. I mean, it would take more faith to believe that that absurdity than it does to believe that God uh, created, you know, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I believe that. How about you? I don't believe we came down from a monkey. I believe that God created man and, and Adam and Eve, you know, and then we came down from them. But it would take more faith to believe what the devil's putting forth than what God asks us to believe. And like here, you know, uh, well, you know, the disciples came by night and stood, uh, stole the body. Well, if you understand anything about that Roman guard that we just talked about, the, you know, that's absurd. The, the disciples aren't going to be able to come in there and steal that, that body out of there with that Roman guard out there. So, so the devil asks us to believe things that are more preposterous than what God would ever ask us to believe. But verse 13 says, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is common, commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So it's clear from the Bible that Jesus has been raised from the dead. How many of you believe he's been raised from the dead? I, I believe he has. And of course, you can see people going out of their way to cover up the resurrection of Jesus by lying and making people think the disciples stole Jesus' body by night and implying that his resurrection was nothing more than, than a hoax. But did you ever think about this? Did you ever think about this? The, the chief priests and the elders, the Sanhedrin, and, 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 and Pilate and the Romans and, and the whole crew, they could have stopped, now think about this, they could have stopped Christianity in its tracks before it ever really got going. And you know how they could have done that? You know all they would have needed to do? Very simple. All they would have needed to do is wait three days. Think about this now. This, to me, proves, proves that Jesus was raised from the dead. Beyond anything, anything else other than I believe God in his writing, in, in his word. But if you just want to think about it naturally, all they would have had to do is wait three days and then exhume Jesus' body. Is that right? Think about it. Isn't that right? All they'd have had to do is wait, keep that Roman guard there. Nobody could have got in there. And just wait the three days, let the three days come and go. And on the fourth day, just go in there, have the soldiers, you know, move the stone, bring Jesus' body out, lay his body in the street, let everybody come and look. And that would have stopped Christianity before it ever got started. But do you know why they didn't do it? Because they didn't have a body. Say this, say they didn't have a body. They didn't have a body. Why didn't they have a body? Because the power of God raised him from the dead and he walked out under his own power. Glory to God. Isn't that exciting? They didn't have a body. All you have to do is exhume the body. Let everybody take a look at it. It only been three days. Wait four days. Bring the body out. Lay it in the street. Let everybody come look at it. They didn't have a body. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead and Christianity is real. Glory to God. Praise God. Look at Acts 1 verse 3. Look at Acts 1, verse 3, if you would. It says this, To whom he, Jesus, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says he presented himself alive by many infallible proofs. 
being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. See, Jesus appeared to many people after he was raised from the dead. You know, he appeared to his disciples. Well, he appeared to the women, didn't he? Didn't he appear to the women? Didn't he? Mary Magdalene, didn't she see him first? I mean, the guards saw him first. But you know what I mean. Don't ever tell me women can't preach the gospel. They were the first ones to preach the gospel. Is that right? Is that right? And uh, the women saw him. And that's another thing. If the disciples were going to try to put forth a hoax that Jesus, you know, that, 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 you know, the resurrection was a hoax and whatnot. Why would they use women as their primary eyewitnesses? Because back in that day, women and their testimony was not allowed. It wasn't seen as valid. So if the, if the disciples were trying to pull a fast one, why would they record the women as not only eyewitnesses, but primary eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus? But he appeared to the women, then he appeared to the disciples. At one time, the Bible says he appeared when Paul wrote, Paul made reference to this, that Jesus appeared to upwards of 500 brethren and they all, all 500 of them saw him at the same time. And then when Paul wrote that, he basically, he said that, that the bulk of them are still alive to this day. You can go check it out with them, you see. Very powerful statement. Jesus appeared to many people. And, of course, he appeared to James and Peter and James. And, of course, last of all, he appeared to Paul. Does anybody know who Paul was before he became Paul the Apostle? He was... Saul of Tarsus, one of the greatest witnesses that Christianity is real that I can come up with. He was an enemy of Christianity. He was against Christ. He was against Jesus. He was against, he was putting people in prison and and so on and so forth. Power God hit him, knocked him down just like it knocked those guards down. Remember that on the road to Damascus? And he got up, he he, he fell down as Saul of Tarsus and, and, and he got up a born again man, Paul the Apostle. Glory to God. And became the greatest, perhaps the greatest proponent of Christianity that there's ever been. What a great witness to have as Apostle Paul. But Jesus, by many infallible proofs, appeared to many people after he was raised from the dead. And there's something else I want to talk about. Because a lot of times folks get into, you know, prove to me that Christianity is real. Prove that Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, listen to this. Go back and look at your secular history and, and, and church history. Go back and look at secular. You know what I mean when I say secular people that weren't Christians as they recorded history and then go look as as Christians recorded history. And you'll find that in that first century, there were many, 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 many people, many men that this is after Jesus was raised from the dead. But many men that stuck with Christianity And were martyred as a result. They were persecuted and martyred and they would not renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of them watched their family members be tortured and put to death as well. And they would not renounce Jesus. That's powerful to me. Because if they didn't have a firm belief in their heart that Jesus had been raised from the dead, uh, they wouldn't have allowed their family members to go through torture and torment. They saw something. They saw the risen Lord. Somebody say praise God. And so many infallible proofs. But notice in John 20 verse 19. Let's just talk for a few moments about Thomas. Thomas. 
Because Jesus had appeared, you know, well, let's just read it. You can see John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, this was like the evening. Uh, Jesus had been raised from the dead that morning. This is the evening. The doors were shut while the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst. And said to them, peace be with you. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So you see, he showed him his hands and his side and, and, and they were glad. They were excited about it. Now look at verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see, now listen to what he said, unless I see, this is Thomas speaking, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print, print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Wow. So he's not going to believe based on somebody else's testimony. But notice verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Now this time he's with him. Jesus came, the doors being shut. He just appeared right in, the, in their presence. Isn't that something? See, he, 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 he had that glorified body. You could do that in that glorified body. And, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, reach your finger here. And look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do you think that got Thomas's attention? Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He became a believer right there, didn't he? Didn't he? Doubting Thomas became believing Thomas. He saw the resurrected Lord. He felt him, touched him, Right. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Well, it's good that Thomas believed, isn't it? But Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, I've never seen Jesus. Have you? But I have the word of God. And I believe the word of God, so there's a special blessing on those who have not seen and yet believe. But you know, I've learned something about people over the years. I've learned something about people over the years. That some people can see something and they'll still not believe it. Some people can see something and they'll still not believe it. Look at Matthew 28 verse 16. Look at Matthew 28 verse 16. Notice this. This was right as Jesus gave his final commission to his disciples. And as he was being taken up, remember, he was received by a cloud up into heaven and seated at the right hand of the father. Now, notice this Matthew 28, verse 16. How many of you would like to have been out that out there that day watching Jesus go up on that cloud? Would, huh? Wouldn't that been something? But notice this. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But, but what? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. Somewhat. Somewhat. You've got to be kidding me. See, a lot of times we read right over things and don't. 
catch them. Somewhat. Now you think seeing the resurrected Lord with the pierced hands aside, he's the, the resurrected Lord. And, and on top of that, you see him, you can read and see that, that he, he was taken up in a cloud. And, and there's people that can stand there looking at the resurrected Lord, watching him go up into heaven on a cloud. And they're still going to what? They're still going to doubt. I tell you what, I've decided I'm not going to be a doubter. I don't want to be a doubter. I'm a believer. How many believers do I have in here? And I'll go you one better. I don't have to see it to believe it. There's some people that will see it. They, they, they still won't believe it. But I don't want to be grouped among them. I've never seen Jesus. But I tell you what, I, I, I believe that he's the Lord. I believe that he's been raised from the dead. How about you? Amen. And so... You know, Jesus is either raised from the dead or he's not. And if he's not been raised from the dead, the Bible's clear. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, preaching Jesus would be senseless. What I'm doing up here, if Jesus didn't walk out of that tomb some 2,000 years ago, then what I'm doing right now would be a big joke. It would be senseless. The Bible says if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, faith in him would be useless. All who have ever preached and testified about Jesus would be liars. No one would be saved from sin. We would have to bear God's judgment ourselves. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, the devil, demons, sickness, and disease would have dominion over us. Those who have already died trusting in him would be lost forever. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, that we'd have no hope of seeing our loved ones who died believing in Jesus. We'd have no hope of a future resurrection. We'd have no hope at all. We'd have no brand new life and nothing to live for. And Christians, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, would be most miserable and to be pitied. But I've got good news for you. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And as a result, preaching Jesus is not useless. Can you say amen? Faith in Jesus is worthwhile. All who have ever preached and testified about Jesus are ministers of truth. All who have trusted in him are saved from sin. We do not have to bear God's judgment ourselves. Jesus did it for us. We have dominion over the devil, demons, sickness, and disease. Glory to God. Those who have already died trusting in Jesus are safe in heaven. How many is glad about that? And we'll see him again one day. We have hope of a future future resurrection. We have hope. Glory to God. Believers have a brand new life and everything to live for. And we are not miserable and we are not to be pitied. Can you say praise God? That's exciting. But all those things I just read, if if Jesus didn't walk out of that tomb, we don't have any of them. But he did walk out of that tomb and we've got all of them. Praise God forevermore. See, if Jesus didn't walk out of that tomb... The virgin birth, which I believe in, was useless. If Jesus didn't walk out of that tomb, his sinless life would have been useless. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, but that would all have been useless. If Jesus wouldn't have walked out of that tomb, the suffering he did on the cross and the shedding of his blood would have been useless. But thank God he did walk out of that tomb in the virgin birth, the sinless life, the shedding of his precious blood, the crucifixion and all of that is powerful because Jesus was raised from the dead. And you know, something else I want to talk about here is change life. Realize, say change lives. 
You know, I may have never seen Jesus, but I've seen the effects that he's had. I've never seen wind, but I've seen its effects. Wind is invisible, is that right? But you can see its effects. Now, I've never seen Jesus, but I can see his effects. And the biggest way that I can see his effects is on changed lives. Peter... He was cowering, hiding from the Jews. But once he saw the resurrected Lord and got baptized in the Holy Ghost, he came out on the streets of Jerusalem with John and the others. And they turned the city upside down. Is that right? Changed lives. Paul, we mentioned him. He was Saul, but he ran into the resurrected Lord. He became Paul. Changed lives. I remember one Easter Sunday... One Resurrection Day, I had different people from the congregation uh, write down what they were like before they got saved. And I remember some people stood up and as they gave their testimony of what they were like before they got saved. And then to look at them now was, was evidence enough that Jesus is alive. Because you see that their lives had changed so much that only the power of the resurrected Christ Jesus could do that. My wife is a perfect example. I mean, I ran into a picture of her looking through the old pictures. Has anybody ever looked through their old pictures besides me? And I ran into a picture of her back years ago, and I picked that thing up, and I looked at it, and I said, that's Diane, but that's not Diane. That's my wife, but that's not my wife. And I, that's, that's Diane, but that's not Diane. And, and, and I took it to her, and I said, Diane, I said, no, I know that's you, but that's not you. And she looked at it. And she looked at me and I said, now, I know that's you, but that's not you. And she said, well, that's before I got saved. And I had a picture of her before she got saved. Before she got saved, she was not the person that you see sitting here before me now. Thank God she got saved. And then I got a picture of her. I found a picture of her just shortly after she got saved and, and the countenance was different. Everything was different. And you, some of you have heard her testimony, what Jesus did for her. And I tell you what, when she got saved, she got saved. She was the old, the old person died. She became new. Glory to God. But you see, I've seen the effects. I may not have never seen Jesus, but I've seen his effects. So the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to believe and accept or are you going to doubt and reject? What are you going to do? Notice Philippians 3.10. I'm going to begin to close this message here. Notice I said begin to close. So I'm right at the beginning of my closing. You you getting anything out of this? You learning anything? Philippians 3.10. The Apostle Paul writes and he says that I may know him, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. How many of you want to know the power of his resurrection? Well... I think anybody would that had had a sound mind. Well, to get to the power of his resurrection, you're going to have to know him. The only way to know the power of his resurrection is you're going to have to know him. Now, this is not just know about Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people that know about Jesus, but they've never tapped into resurrection power. It's not enough just to know about Jesus. You have to have a relationship with him. A lot of people just mentally accept him. They just, you know, you'll ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But when you get right down to it, they've just accepted him mentally. They've, they don't have a heart relationship with him. They've never received him into their heart. Look at John 3.16 in the Amplified. John 3.16 in the Amplified Bible. The most famous verse probably in all of the Bible. Notice this. 
talking about knowing Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, notice believes in him, see, but the amplified brings out what that word believe means. It doesn't just mean to believe just, just to mentally accept something. The Bible says in the book of James that the devil, the demons believe in God and tremble. They have a mental acceptance, certainly, of God. But to know Jesus, you have to do more than just mentally accept. Notice what the word here, believe, amplified brings out. It says, trust, realize, say, trust in. Say, say, clings to. And it says, say, relies on. See, what this implies is, is a total selling out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in Him, clinging to Him, and relying on Him. And it says that person will not perish, come to destruction, be lost. And that means in hell. There's, there's a heaven above, there's a hell beneath. But will have eternal, everlasting life. So you see, to know Jesus... The Bible's clear you're going to have to believe in Him. You're going to have to believe on Him. But that's not just mental acceptance. That's a trusting in, a clinging to, a relying on Him. And, and then something else I, I like to talk about when I'm talking about this is a lot of people think that good works is a means of winning salvation. A lot of people think if they can just just be good enough and do enough good things, it'll win them a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Look at Matthew 7, verse 22. Matthew 7, verse 22. Notice this. Matthew 7, verse 22. Does that verse 22 start with the word many or few? It's not a trick question now. Okay, guys. Matthew 7, verse 22. I think we've got Micah up there. Well, it starts with an M, but do we not have Matthew? Can you get her? Well, that's all right. We'll just move on. Does anybody have a Bible with them? Does it say many or is it up there? Okay. All right. He was trying to make a trick question out of it. Does it start with the word many or few? Many. Jesus is speaking here. He says many will say to me in that day, it's in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord. Well, it's a good thing to call him Lord, isn't it? Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders or wonderful works in your name. Those are all good things. But look at the next verse, verse 23. And then I'll declare to them, I never what? Knew you. So we're talking about knowing him and the power of his resurrection. People did a whole bunch of good things there. But he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who what? Practice lawlessness or practice sin. You need to realize that none of us are perfect. All of us mess up. But there's a difference between messing up and practicing a lifestyle of sin. And Jesus said that many, many would say to him in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord. See, some people think if you call him Lord, that you'll you'll be saved. Not if you continue to practice sin. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons? Have we not done many wonderful things in your name? And then what is Jesus going to say? He's going to say, I never what? 
depart from me. That's not good when Jesus is saying, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness or practice sin. You see, to know Jesus, you have to repent of your old lifestyle. You have to turn away from a sinful lifestyle. You have to be truly sorry of the way you've been living. You have to turn from that and you have to come to him with childlike faith and just believe on him and receive him. And if you do that, then you'll know him. You'll know him. You'll have a relationship with him. He'll come into into your heart. Do you understand that? But when he comes into your heart, like I said to my about my wife a while ago, see, when when he came into her her heart, her life changed. She was no longer that person that she had been. When he came into my heart, I changed. I was no longer that person that I had been. Saul of Tarsus, when Jesus came in, see, see, Saul called him Lord, but but he sold out to him. He trusted in me, clinged to him. He relied on Jesus and Saul's life changed and he became the Apostle Paul. I'm real concerned. Oh, listen to me. I'm real, real, real concerned about people who prayed a prayer one time. But there was was never any change in their life and they're trusting in saying some words to win their salvation. Did you hear what I just said? I'm so I'm so concerned. I'm so concerned. Sometimes I lay, lay awake and think about it. I'm concerned about people that they think they're Christians and they're not because they prayed some sort of prayer. When they were younger or, or maybe at one time in a church or somewhere at a meeting, they prayed some sort of a prayer, but there was their life never changed. And they're trusting. Some people are trusting in their good work. Some people are trusting in that they, they did something good or they they prophesied or they they cast out a demon or what. Some people are trusting in that to to win them a relationship with the Lord. No, others are trusting in a prayer they prayed. Do you know, I studied the Bible and I looked one time and uh, again and again, you find people that followed Jesus and I can never find where they ever said what's known as the sinner's prayer. But yet they followed Jesus. They sold out to him. Do you know there's a lot of people in this hour and there's a lot of famous preachers telling people if you'll just pray this prayer, you'll be saved. Did you know that that's not true? It's not about praying a prayer. It's about selling out. Say selling out. Remember Zacchaeus, that little man in the tree? Jesus came by, looked up there. Zacchaeus was, said, I got to go over to your house. He went over to Zacchaeus's house. I don't see where Zacchaeus ever prayed a prayer. But, but the effects of G- Jesus changed his life. And salvation came to his house. And I can go through again and again with one, one person in the Bible after another where I never see them praying what is known as a, a, a prayer or a sinner's prayer. But yet they, they ran into Jesus and they grabbed a hold of him and they served him and they realized say they followed him. They followed him. Don't please anybody listening to me, whether it's here in this, in this sanctuary or, or on the Internet, don't be trusting in some prayer in and of itself to save you. But oh, I tell you what, if you repent of your sins and you pray a prayer and it's done in faith and that prayer is prayed with a heart that you're selling out to the Lord, then that prayer will take. Realize, say take. You know what I mean? It'll take hold. Praying is important. Don't misunderstand me. You understand what I was saying? Some people think just because they believe mentally assent to Jesus that they're going to be saved. That's not true. Some people think just because they prayed a prayer But yet, there's no evidence that they ever 
took hold of Jesus. I tell you what, you take hold of Jesus. Let me tell you something. You take hold of Jesus, your life's going to change. You take hold of Jesus, you're, you're not going to want to sin. You're going to want to live right. You take hold of Jesus, you're going to want to, you're going to want to obey him. You're going to want to come to the house of God regularly. You're going to want to follow him and do what he says do. Can you say amen? So I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. We should pray. And I'm all for the sinner's prayer. But it's important that it's done with a repentant heart. And that that when you pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart, that you mean it and that you sell out to him. And in that moment, then the the power of God, the power of the resurrected Savior hits your spirit. and And you get born again and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Look at Romans 10, 9. And now I'm at the end of my closing. We'll close right here. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and what? Believe in your head or your heart, in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do I get saved? Well, you have to believe in your heart that God's raised Jesus from the dead. And then you have to confess him with your mouth. Jesus said, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my father. But if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. How do you get saved? You believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And then you confess him with your mouth. I want to leave you with this thought. Listen carefully. In the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote that, wrote that. And he made an observation and he said, and I'm going to put it in my own words. He said, I looked. And the implication is, is that he did this again and again. And he looked. Now listen carefully. And he looked. And he observed and he saw people coming and going from church. Did I say from the bar or did I say from church? Did I say from the bowling alley or did I say from church? Did I say from the quick trip or did I say from church? He watched and he looked and he did this again and again. He looked and he watched people coming and going from church. And eventually they died and they went to hell. And he was amazed by that. How could it be that people would come and go from church on a regular basis and die and go to hell? And I'm convinced there's one of two reasons why. One of two reasons why. Either the preacher wasn't preaching the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Either the preacher wasn't preaching that, or the people weren't believing that. Either the preacher wasn't preaching it. You know there's a lot of churches in this land that they never tell people how to get saved. And that's a shame, isn't it? And so either the preacher wasn't preaching the gospel, or the preacher was preaching it, but the people weren't believing it. Well, I've come here today as a representative of Almighty God, and I've preached you the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I told you how to get saved. I told you how to miss hell and make heaven. If you go to hell, you can't blame it on me because I told you the truth. And my blood is not on your hands. Do you hear me? So it's up to you. What are you going to do? So you stand with me, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you'll pray this to God, we're going to pray a congregational prayer. So I want everybody to pray. Even if you're already saved, pray it anyway. Because it will help those that, that are praying it for the first time.
And also, I just felt impressed to the Spirit of God to say this. If you hadn't been walking close with the Lord, maybe you've grown cold. And you're not walking close to Him as you should. And over the next several weeks, I've been instructed by the Lord to handle this question about the backslider and faith versus works. And we're going to be looking at it over the next couple of weeks. But I want to tell you, if you're here today, heads bowed and eyes closed now. If you're here today and you hadn't been walking close with the Lord, one thing I can tell you is you're on dangerous ground. You're on dangerous ground. So today would be a good day if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart. Today would be a good day to do it. Resurrection day. Or if you're walking in a lukewarm state or you're, you're not living for the Lord as you should, today would be a great day to get back right with Him. He'll accept you. He'll receive you. I tell you what, He's, he's looking for you. He's waiting for you to, to sell out to Him. He's waiting for you to get back right with Him. So I'm going to lead you in a congregational prayer. If you'll do this with a repentant heart and a sincere heart, And pray this with a sincere heart. Jesus will come into your life. You'll get born again. You'll become a Christian. You'll miss hell and you'll make heaven one day. And plus on top of all that, he'll make your life living here in the here and now far better than it's ever been. Will you still have some trouble? Sure you will, but you'll have Jesus there to help you through it. Glory to God. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's all pray this. Say, God in heaven, I come to you with a repentant heart. I'm sorry for my sins. I turn from them now. And right now, I believe in my heart that you've raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess him now as my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. According to your word, I'm saved. I'll never doubt it. But I'll serve you from this moment forth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you did that for the first time or if you got back right with the Lord, when we dismiss, there'll be some men and women standing up here. It's important that you come up and tell them what you've, what you've done. Uh, everyone Jesus called, he called publicly. So he died for you publicly. So you need to come up and tell somebody publicly that you received him. Well, hey, I'm glad you came today. I love each and every one of you. Hope you learned something. Hope you got something good out of this. And go through the rest of your day remembering that Jesus is alive. Realize I say Jesus is alive. One more time, Jesus is alive. One more time, Jesus is alive. Well, tell